0: Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International weekly message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the word of God. We have a culture in our church to where we love to pray for people, and we just you know prayed over Brandon, Brandon and Jamie to pray for people. Um, We prophesy over people. We have I think we got great worship, and I just think it gets even more awesome all the time. And so there's a lot that we experience. And it's really important that we always balance experience with foundation and with being stable. And the reason I say this is because you can go to church, you can be in circles, you can be in situations to where you experience the Lord, and I highly encourage that. And you've been in here all morning, and if you've had any kind of feelers out at all, you experienced the Lord this morning. But what I have found is that experience can do something in you. It, it can set you free. You can encounter experience, the Lord, and it can set you free, but it will not keep you free. It's Extremely important to understand this because you can walk out of a service, but unless you have, or out of a, a, someone praying for you, whatever it is, but if you have not had your mind renewed and you've not had understanding come to you, you won't know how to sustain the, the peaks and the valleys in life because the reality is is that life is up and down but we're not supposed to be. So it's like you know we have things that come to us that are highs and things that come to us that are lows and we are supposed to be stable and steadfast. I remember being in a service when I was at a men's meeting actually when I was younger and and this just stuck out in my in my head my and my heart all these years. And this guy he was he was saying you know a lot of people are up and down and he said, some people think that we're just supposed to go like this. He said, the reality is, is we're just supposed to go like this. And I got what he was saying. And I'm not saying we shouldn't increase or go up or anything, but we should be stable. We, we should be steadfast. We shouldn't be easily moved with whatever is going on around us. And so if we don't understand this this idea, then we can go into a service, we can have some kind of encounter with the Lord, an angel could show up and visit us, and then it can get quiet for a week or a month or two months or seemingly quiet. And then before you know it, we fall to the wayside thinking, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's wrong with me. But the reality is, is that we have to go back to what the word says, and we have to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. And I've found that people that hold tight to the word, the word will hold tight to them. And when you guard the word in your heart, the word will guard you. And so there's this, there's this delicate balance that needs to be there because I've been in like word circles for a lot of years to where you would go in and it was just like teaching, 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 teaching. And I love teaching. I love to teach. That's one of the gifts that flows through me. You can't just have teaching. People need to encounter the Lord. And you can encounter the Lord through teaching. I'm not saying that, but there has to be there has to be a balance pretty much to everything that we do. People need to encounter the Lord, but they also have to have what's necessary to be steadfast. And you know, Jesus understood this. And I'm probably not going to have time to really get into it today, but if you look at the parable of the sowers, one is in Mark chapter four, uh, This and it's listed three times in the gospels, in three of the gospels. One is in Mark four, another is in Matthew 13. As a matter of fact, just go ahead and turn to Matthew 13, because we're going to end up there in just in just a moment. And then the other one is Luke chapter eight. And what you'll notice, um, you know, when you look through those, the very beginning, and again, I'm not going to take time to go and read it all, but I, but I noticed something very important. At the beginning of all of those, it says that there was a great multitude. So the parable of the sower, as a matter of fact, let's go there and just look in Matthew chapter 13. Let's read this, and then I'll come back and touch on a couple of things. Matthew chapter 13, and let's start in verse one. And it says, on the same day, Jesus went out, of the house and sat by the sea. And, a great multi, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitudes st- stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he s- uh, sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some, some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then it goes on, and Jesus gives the explanation of this parable, which I have. if I have time, I'll get into in a moment. Um, but if you go back and look at verse 2, it says, And great multitudes were gathered together to him. And if you look at the other accounts, Mark chapter 4 and also Luke chapter 8, it says the same thing. They all have differences, but they all have some things that are similar. And one of the same, the same things that's similar is that there was a great multitude. They all note that. And so when I saw this, I thought, this is really important. See, Jesus had a whole multitude of people here, or at this, this setting here. And whenever you have a multitude of people your job as a minister is to give that multitude the very best thing that you could give them. And you know, he did, it didn't say at this particular time that he went and healed them. It didn't say that he waved his hand over and the crowd fell out in the spirit. It didn't say all kinds of things that it could have said, but Jesus began to teach them things in parables to reveal kingdom truths to them, actually hidden in the parables, but to reveal the things concerning the kingdom of God. And I just think that this is really, really significant, that here you have Jesus, the greatest minister ever, and the thing that he went when he had these multitudes that was there, that were gathered together, as he began to teach them things. Why? Because they needed to be grounded in kingdom truths, not just experience kingdom truths. It's extremely important that we understand this. Um, There's a verse... Over in uh, 1 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter, and let's go look there real quick. Hold your place in Matthew and go over to 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation because the regular translation is as confusing as it can possibly be. And I'm going to try to shed a little bit of light on this. And this is a verse that I've read for years, but for a long time I really didn't have a lot of understanding, and I've got more understanding than I, than I used to. But this is really important. So this is 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 19. And I think we should be able to pull that up there on the screen. There it is. And it says, so we have been, and again, this is the Passion Translation. So we have been given the prophetic word, the written message of the prophets, made more reliable and fully validated by the confirming voice of God on Mount Transfiguration. So he's, he's referencing here when the disciples were on Mount Transfiguration and Jesus appeared in his glorified body to them. And and that the idea of him uh, appearing was a picture of Jesus going to to appear in the second coming in the future. And so Peter here is saying, it's really important that you go back to the written word and count on the written word. And it says, and you will continue to do this well if you stay focused on it, speaking of the written prophetic word. For this prophetic message is like a piercing light shining in a gloomy place until the dawning of a new day when the morning star rises in your hearts. So There's a lot of spiritual significance and and spiritual picture that's put here. But partially, this is talking about the second return of the Lord. And what he's saying is that we experience something on Mount Transfiguration that was like the second coming of the Lord. But don't take our experience and hang your hat on it. Instead, take the written prophetic words, the written word, and hang your hat on that. Because as one translation says, it's a more sure word of prophecy. See, prophecy is extremely important. there's so much about what we're doing and what we're going to do that hinges on prophetic words. But it's extremely important that we measure every single thing that we do, every word that's spoken, everything that happens has to go back and be measured according to the word of God. And let me go on and read um, a couple more verses here. This is very important. It says, you must understand this at at the outset. Interpretation of scriptural prophecy, listen, requires the Holy Spirit. For it does not originate from someone's own imagination. No true prophecy comes from human uh, uh, initiative. There we go. Let me read that again. No true prophecy comes from human initiative, but is inspired by the moving of the Holy Spirit upon those who spoke the message that came from God. And I want you to notice here in verse 20, it says, Interpretation of scriptural prophecy requires the Holy Spirit. And this is, I just want to hit on this for a couple of minutes here that I believe that this is very, very important. That when it comes to us reading the word of God, there is a difference between Logos and Rhema. And many of you have heard this before. You've heard this over the years. It's a popular teaching. It's a great, it's a great understanding. And there's a whole school called Rhema Bible Training Center that was named after the idea of having a Rhema word. Most Christians, and I'm, I'm trying, to just say this as nice as I can. When I say most, I mean 95%. When they read their Bible, they read for logos, which is the written word. Now, let me say something here. I believe wholeheartedly in the written word. We have to have this as our base for every single thing that we do. It is extremely important. The word logos isn't bad, but the word logos is, re- is referencing the written word, anybody can pick up the bible and read it anybody that knows how to read can pick it up and they can read the paper and ink and have some kind of an understanding, some kind of what it's talking about. But only people who are in communion with the Lord can get a rhema word from him to where he takes this living word that would seem dead. In fact, it is dead without the Holy Spirit, but with the help of the Holy Spirit in personal communion with him, it comes alive in their heart, it comes alive in their life, and that's that's the thing that gives us substance to live by. That's the thing that causes faith to come alive in our hearts. It says in Romans chapter 10, and I believe it's verse 17, and it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when you look up that word, word there, it's talking about rhema. So faith doesn't actually come from logos, Faith doesn't come from paper and ink, what's written on paper and ink. Faith comes from when you read the paper and ink, when you read what was written, and the Holy Spirit quickens it and makes it come alive to you. That's where faith comes in. And when I find this with a lot of people that they'll hear something, they'll hear a message about whatever it is, about healing, about deliverance, about God's blessing, and they'll woo, amen, hallelujah, they'll agree with it, but it really never became a rhema to their heart. So then when they go to apply faith in their own life to see it come to pass in their own life, it doesn't work. And then after, after weeks and after months and after years of quoting and quoting and quoting, because they believe the word of God is right, it's final authority, after all of this time quoting it and believing it, they don't see it come to pass. And they go, well, I guess it just doesn't work. It's just really just not that simple. Actually, the word is extremely simple. It's extremely plain if you have the help of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that faith works is if you have him quicken it to you which means to make it come alive. And we know that, you know, Jesus is alive, right? And we know that Jesus is the word. He's the bread of life. He's the living word. So when it comes to having a relationship with him, when we're reading the word, the goal isn't to say I read all of Proverbs or I read all of the Old Testament or I read and memorized the book of James or whatever. That's not the issue. The issue is when you were reading, did it come alive and produce fruit in your life? Did it quicken faith in you to where when you looked at that, you said, that's a promise of God. And that belongs not, it doesn't just belong on the paper and ink. It belongs in my heart and God's written it in my heart. And now I'm going to take that and I'm going to stand on it. That's really the issue that's at hand that we need to have that, that quickening, that thing that, that comes alive. Let me read this verse to you out of Psalm chapter 25. In verse 14, Psalm 25 and verse 14. And can we pull this up with a passion translation, please? I love the way that it puts this. Psalm 25 and 14. This is so powerful. Listen to this. Psalm 25 and 14. It says, There is a private place reserved for the lovers of God. Now, I think the King James or the New King James talks about those who fear God. And if you go and study it out, it's basically talking about the same thing. People that really love God are ones that really fear him in a healthy, reverential way. So there's a private place reserved for the lovers of God where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. Do you know that revelation knowledge, the secrets of the kingdom of God, the things that are in the spirit, they are not out there just for everybody else to have. But Jesus, and specifically in Jesus' parables, he put them in there to hide them not from us, but for us. So that when we go and seek him, we're not just reading it and going, oh, oh, okay, I understand that. We read it and we go, God, I have no idea what you're saying. Have you ever been there before? Especially in Jesus' parables, it's like, what the heck did I just read? What in the world is this saying? And then after you read it and you open your heart and you say, Father, I'm not just reading paper and ink. This is you. I'm reading you. You are the word. You, you in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God, when I'm reading the word, I'm reading you. And I want, I want to know your heart. I want to know your revelation concerning this. And the word all of a sudden will just come alive to you. I, I was reading things in specific, the parable of the sower. I've been reading, reading this and rereading this for the last several days in specific. And I was telling Liz, I said I've been reading these things for years, and I'm getting Revelation with the exact same words that I've been reading for years that I've never ever seen before in my entire life. Out of all the years of, how is that even possible? I mean, you could, read a, you could read a normal book and you could have that thing licked if you read it three or four times. I mean, you would really know what it says. You can read the word of God a million times and you'll never get all of it that's out of it that's in there. Why? Because it's a living word. You're not just reading paper and ink, you're reading a person. You're having fellowship and communion with him. Let's pull that verse back up there and read it again just for the sake of reading it. There's a private place reserved for the lovers of God. You know, if you really love God, there's a place reserved for you in His presence where they sit near Him. See, the whole deal is that the Lord is interested in your journey. He's interested in you fellowshipping with Him. He doesn't just want to put things out there because human beings, I mean, we're all basically the same. If we can see how to do something, we'll go, oh, awesome, let's do that. And we don't care so much about the process of what's happening and what's going on, what we're learning and how we're growing, but God does care about the process. So he's really wise in hiding things. Bring that back up there, please. Of hiding things for us. You're doing a great job. But it says where they sit near him and receive the revelation, secrets of his promises. Man, I love that. Isn't that powerful, powerful stuff? Look here in Matthew chapter 13. Let's go back and look at this just for a moment here before we, before we close. And in verse 10, we read all the way through verse 9. Now, I want to look at something in verse 9 real quick. It says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Everybody had physical ears to hear. He wasn't talking about physical ears, and we know that because if they didn't, Jesus would have given them physical ears, amen? He'd have healed them. So he wasn't talking about physical ears. He was talking about the ears of the heart. It's extremely important. Whether you hear, know, understand, perceive, Anything from the Lord is totally dependent upon you making the decision to do it. has nothing to do with the Lord choosing to give you something and not giving somebody else something or whatever. Because sometimes people don't go, oh, that person just has so much revelation. And they might have a lot of revelation. Why? Because they humbled themselves. They sat at the feet of Jesus and said, God, teach me. Lord, I want to fellowship with you. You reveal your secrets to me. Make things come alive to me. And this is something I believe, this is, extre- this is so important. If we go through all of the motions of, of being a believer, being a Christian, and we don't just come back to the heart of sitting at the feet of Jesus and saying, God, teach me, show me, reveal things to me. We've totally missed the heart of what God has for us. He longs to have fellowship with you. He longs to spend time with you. He literally moved heaven by sending himself in the form of his son, Jesus, bankrupted heaven, heaven's most prized possession, God himself, and shed his own blood so that we could have, not not just be saved, but have relationship with him through his word. Man, that's powerful. Look here in verse 10, it says, and the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And it says, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. You know what? You know what? I, I saw something in here that I never that I never saw before. It says, and this is recently, so this is fresh off the press. He says, They ask, why do you speak to them in parables? So, in other words, Jesus wasn't speaking to the disciples in parables, he was speaking to the multitudes in parables. Because he says, It's been given. In verse 10, it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So in other words, when you get close with the Lord, he'll speak directly to your heart. He'll just tell it to you just like it is. He'll just tell you whatever you need to know. He'll just tell it to you. It won't be riddle me this, riddle me that. When things are put in riddle form, and Jesus did that in a parable form, It was because he needed to tell them the truth, but he didn't want them to just go up and just grasp it and not have relationship with him. He wanted them to go, what are you talking about? That feels like an enigma to me. What are you saying? And that's really what the parables and the teachings of Jesus were. They were like enigmas. Like it's like, okay, I understand every word you're saying in plain Latin or whatever. (laughs) For us, English, I understand every word, but I have no idea what you're saying. When you read what Jesus did and how he spoke, that's exactly what it makes you feel like. You read and you go, what in the world are you talking about? You know what I've found? Is that you can take the very teachings of Jesus and when you get close to him, he'll go, this is what this means, 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 because he wants you to draw near to him so he can reveal his secrets to you, the lover of God in the secret place just for you. Wow. In verse 12, it says, for whoever for whoever has, to him more will be given. This is talking about revelation knowledge. This whole passage is talking about revelation knowledge. To whom whom has, the one that has, even more will be given. And he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. I was listening to a man named Dwayne Sheriff. If you ever have an opportunity to listen to Dwayne Sheriff, that man has got, he says things from the Bible that I don't, I'm like, how do you come up with this? And I know we didn't learn it from anybody else. He says some of the most amazing things you'll ever hear from the word of God. And the Lord took me back to this verse right here and he says that because he has, even more is given to him. It's talking about revelation knowledge. And when you have an understanding that your place where you belong is in the presence of God, as a lover of God, getting the secrets from the Lord himself, when you understand that that's your place, you'll have abundance poured out in, in measure. And in greater measure, in greater measure, hallelujah. And let me tell you how important the word word is, all right? This is very important. Jump down to verse 18. And then this is where Jesus explains the parable. This is Matthew 13 and 18. It says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. It says, anyone who doesn't understand it, then the enemy comes and snatches it away. Then the enemy comes and steals it away. If you jump down to verse 23, it says, but he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some 100, some 60, and some 30. So it's not about just hearing it, but it's about hearing it and understanding it. And the understanding comes from the secret place. The understanding comes from spending time with him where you can sit and you can listen to somebody say something. I can remember sitting and listening to to ministers speak in plain English, but yet it was like I couldn't understand what they were saying. Because the, the way that the kingdom of God works, let me say it this way, the way that the world works is this. Look at me. It goes from your head to your heart. It goes from your head to your heart. The way the kingdom of God goes is it works from your heart to your head. (laughs) The only way you can understand something is to have the spirit of God take a word of God and reveal it and make it become a truth to you. So I can remember times when I would sit and listen to somebody, I'd go, "I, I understand what they're saying, but I really don't have any idea what they're saying. And so I would walk away from that thing. And honestly, what happened was that the enemy stole the word because I had no understanding. But understanding comes to people, because Jesus says it over and over and over. In every one of these these places where the, the the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where they talked about this, he says to him who has ears to hear, to him who has ears to hear, and Revelation you can see it in the book of Revelation, to him who has ears to hear, to him who has ears to hear. Jesus is always saying. You have the ability to hear, make a decision, to sit and listen. Sit with me a while, will you, and listen what I have to tell you. There's another, the Psalm chapter 25. There's one translation that says that the Lord reveals his secrets to his friends. What does it mean to be a a friend of God? What does it mean to be a friend to a regular person? When you're a friend to someone, you go over to their house, you sit and talk. They come over to your house, you go out to dinner. You go places together, you might go on vacation together or just whatever it is. You just spend time with that person. You know that the Lord will reveal his secret, his covenant secrets to you as his friend just because you wanna spend time with them. Man, I I believe that this is really ringing a bell with some of y'all in here. I think that this is awesome. Man, this is ringing my bell. I'm gonna get the podcast and download it and listen to it on the plane 20 times over and over. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Actually, it really is powerful I can do that. I want, to, I want to hit one more thing here real quick because I'm, I'm seriously out of time. If you go back and you look in verse 19, it talks about three different types of ground that don't produce correctly. And I want you to notice something. It says, when anyone hears the word and doesn't understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart, which is what? It's the word. If you jump down to verse 21, and this is talking about seed that's sown on stony ground, It says, Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when trouble, or excuse me, when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Verse 22 Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Listen, the devil, he's out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He don't care about your dishwasher. He don't care about your hot water heater. He don't care about the transmission in your car. He, he honestly, he doesn't even care about whether you're sick or not. He cares that whether whatever comes to you, are you going to take that thing and say, I choose to believe and know and receive and stand on God's promise to me, God's word to me, or are you going to look at your circumstance and say, oh my gosh. But if you can understand the reason it comes to you, the reason that the, 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 whatever it is comes to you and comes at you is to steal the word from you, if you can see that, then you can step back and go, wait a second. I know the devil's trick. I know his issue. I got to tell you this one last revelation, and we might be late for our flight. I don't know, but I don't care because I got to tell you this one thing here. It's so powerful. So when you look at these three different instances, again, this, this same story or this same parable is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and I found something very interesting. They all use a different Greek phrase to describe the enemy. And in Matthew's account, he calls it the wicked one. In Mark's account, he calls him Satan. And in Luke's account, he calls him the devil. All different Greek words that describe the same person. And here's what it is. Satan is who he is. Um, Wickedness, or the wicked one, um, reveals what he does which is to bring harm and destruction. So Satan does wickedness to bring harm and destruction. When you put all of these revelations together, and the term devil describes how he does it, which is to bring accusation against you. Because the devil means the adversary, which is the accuser. And what the accuser is doing, every time you come up against something and you have a choice to stand on God's word, or to believe your current circumstance, you have a choice at that moment and the accuser is in your ear saying, it won't work, it didn't work before, or Grandpa Joe died from this thing, or whatever the deal is. That's the accuser coming in and accusing you and your situation and telling you something completely different than what the Lord is saying. And ultimately, if you believe what he says, it'll bring destruction in your life. But if you just take the word, you know it, you believe it, you understand it, you walk with the Lord... And you don't let the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the offenses, all of the things going on in life, you don't let those things come in and rob you of what God's given you, and you stand on that word, it will produce. Because when you look in this example, the seed is the same. The soil of the heart is what changed. That was the variable. But the constant was the seed. The seed is always the same. The word is always the same. So if you look at someone, you go, how come it's, it's working in that person's life, but it's not working in that person's life? It has nothing to do with the word. It's not God. It's the, it's the variable. It's the heart that it's planted in. And it's not to call one person good and another person evil. It's just the reality of how the enemy works. And if he can corrupt our hearts, he can corrupt our thinking to where we don't just stay pure in our understanding of the word of God and simply just believe it. And even before all that, come to a place of understanding, then the enemy will rob us. Because it says right here, if you don't understand it, then the enemy steals the word from you. You could take this word that I'm saying right here, not understand it, walk right out those doors and say, by golly, I'm blessed. Worship was good. Woo, they prayed for some people. Man, Pastor Kent, by the time he got to the end, he had to keep going five minutes longer, even though they might be late for the flight because he was on fire. And praise God, it was just awesome. And you walk right out. If you don't understand it, it won't benefit you in your life. You have to go back in the secret place, you and the Lord. As a matter of fact, you know, God's called us all to be Martha's. We should serve, we should do all kinds of things, but he's also called every single person to be a Mary. That's why Jesus said when when Martha was running around and was aggravated with Mary because Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just sitting around doing nothing, Jesus said, actually, Martha, Mary has chosen the greater thing. He wasn't saying Martha was wrong for doing things to help. Because I've seen some people, they'll come in and they're just, you know, just pop their, their blessed assurance down on the chair, and they won't help anybody for anything. And God wasn't saying that what Martha, what Martha was doing was wrong. He was saying it just wasn't the greatest thing. It wasn't the greatest thing in terms of measure of the kingdom. Because what causes kingdom results is operating according to the kingdom ways. And the way, the way that some of y'all can't get past the blessed assurance thing, anyways, you're not, I'm trying to finish and you're laughing. You're finally laughing at me when I don't want you to laugh at me. And so anyways, we'll praise God if you get the picture. Amen. Stand to your feet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We bless you. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.